0: Good morning. The reading this morning will be from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Good morning. Well, this is interesting. This is the first sermon. Well, actually, second, but technically the first one as the minister. I got to say this before I start. Someone jokingly said, are you nervous? And I said, well, I said, I don't know. I don't feel nervous right now. And he said, oh, oh, he said, this is going to be different. You preached once already, but last time they were being nice because you weren't hired yet. (laughs) So I thought, "Okay, it's always nice to get encouragement from my brothers. So that's good. (laughs) So good morning to you, the church that meets here in Winnipeg, my family. It's good to see all of you. I'm looking forward to getting to know all of you. Uh, And the ones that I do know, I'm looking forward to getting to know even better. So the lesson this morning, you'll notice it says the greatest incentive. We're going to be looking at Psalm 73. If you'll open up your Bibles and turn there this morning, Psalm 73. And so what I usually like to do, usually I'd say probably about 75, 80% of my lessons, I usually like to give a little background before getting into the lesson, and that's what I'm going to do this morning. And so uh, we're going to take a look at a couple of things here. Psalm 73 would be classified along with Psalms 37 and 49 as a wisdom psalm, and that's because it's intended to make us think and to reason through the experience, and we gain insight and knowledge. So we gain wisdom through using our minds, through reasoning through the experience that we're going through. And so Psalm 73 is among the 12 Psalms that bear the name Asaph. You can see the ones that I've got there that he's, he's oh, oh, actually written by Asaph. So I kind of jumped ahead there. So it's written by Asaph. Uh, this is likely the Asaph that we read about who played the bronze cymbals uh, regularly before the Ark of the Covenant. And so there we go. Asaph wrote Psalms 73 to 83 and Psalm 50. So there's 12 in total that he wrote. And he wrote this one. And so in this particular psalm, the psalmist struggled with the wickedness of those around him, just as Lot did. You might remember Lot when he was living in Sodom, he struggled with the sin that he saw the people around him in Second Peter chapter two, verses seven and nine. But the only difference between Lot and the writer here, Asaph, is that Lot did not question God's goodness and his justice. But Asaph, the writer here, Did In Psalm 73 as we're going to see. So let's start and read verse 1 of Psalm 73 together So he says surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart So what he does is he starts with the conclusion to which his experience led him This is the conclusion he came to he said surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart So he concluded that God is good, not only to Israel, but to all people, to all those who are pure in heart. That includes us. If we're pure in heart, God is good to us. The psalmist was referring to the desire to stay true to God, the the desire to be obedient to the Lord, to be pure. And that's what he's talking about here. Let's read verses 2 and 5, 2 to 2 to 5. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. So the psalmist admits that he almost fell into sin like the people that he saw around him. So you imagine he's seeing these people sinning and he's actually tempted to do the same thing. He's struggling here. He can, He. can. Have you ever seen someone look at someone else's life? I'll give you an example of what he's talking about here. Have you ever looked at someone else's life and you saw them living such a good life and they're healthy and they're strong and, and they're, they're not struggling the way that we do and you wished you had their life? Have you ever envied someone else like that? They had good health, they had wealth, they had a nice house, they had a nice car, and you wished you had that life. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. He envied them. But perhaps you looked at such a person and wished you had that person's life, but there is a very important lesson for us about this, as we're going to see a little later on as we get into the lesson. Take a look at verse 6 now, and let's read that one together. Therefore, pride is their necklace, they clothe themselves with violence. You guys I have to forgive me. I'm fighting with this thing up here, so I'm trying to get it. There we go. I've got it. And so, verse 6, what we can see is the psalmist described the moral state of these wicked people, how they were prideful, how they were violent. So notice the language he uses, though. He says, therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Well, think of clothes. You put on clothes. Well, that's what he's talking about. They put on violence. They wear it. They're violent on a daily basis. It's a habit to be violent, just like putting on clothes in the morning. They're like that from the moment they get up. Verse 7 now. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds knows, knows no limits. And so the NIV says the cal- from the callous hearts of the wicked come iniquity. I like other translations, the way they translate this. And listen to this. The New American Standard Bible which says, their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. What kind of image do you get from that? What does it make you think of? Let me use an example. Imagine you decide you're going to go out and have pizza. You go out to the restaurant. You're eating pizza. You just can't get enough. You get to the point, okay, I'm full. Oh, but I want something else. You go out for Chinese food. You're eating and you're stuffing yourself. Then you go out to another restaurant. Maybe you go to Subway Sub, and you get a a sub, and you're stuffing yourself. And you keep eating and eating and eating until... Whoa! That's kind of the picture. That's kind of the picture that the writer is trying to get in your mind. How bad they were. Yes, I know it's funny. I thought that would get you so. But what he's talking about here is not food. He's talking about everything. They had such a lust for stuff that they just couldn't stop. It was just too much. These people had everything they needed, and they were lusting for more. They just couldn't get enough of it. So that's the thought here, not just when it comes to food. The more they had, the more they wanted. And as the second half of of verse 7 says in the NIV, it says, the evil conceits of their minds knows no limits. So there was no limit. They just couldn't stop. They couldn't get enough. Take a look at verses 8 and 9 now. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. I kind of went one verse over, but that's okay. So we read about the speaking, the wicked speaking high and mighty. So would you think they were arrogant? They were proud? They were boastful? So is it any surprise that they were speaking high and mighty? The NIV speaks, says, speak with malice in verse 8. Well, the word malice means the desire to cause pain or injury or distress to another person. So it's the idea that they have this mindset, they just want to hurt you. They just want to hurt you. But the psalmist says that the wicked spoke in such a way. And so, in other words, what he's saying is, is they spoke in such a way as to be intentionally hurtful. Can you imagine being around people that are like that? They speak in such a way they want to hurt you. These were people who thought they were their own boss. They were people who they had the attitude that no one was going to tell them what to do. So you kind of get an image of what these people are like. And here he is. He's stuck around all these people and watching this. But what I don't understand is why was he envious of them? Why would he want to be like that? Why would he be envious? So now we read in the next verse. Next verse is 10 and 11 now. Let's read those together. So therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the most high have knowledge? Well, these wicked people were so arrogant that they had the appearance of wisdom and would actually draw people to them. I've met all kinds of people that were like that. They spoke in such a way that you were just kind of gravitated towards them. Well, one Bible translation says so that even God's people turned to them. And eagerly believe whatever they say. Let me say that again. So that even God's people turn to them and eagerly believe what they say, whatever they say. And so that's what he's watching. He's seeing God's people chase after these these people here and follow them. And so maybe that's part of what made him envious. We don't know. The writer here could recognize this bad behavior from these people, because otherwise he wouldn't have written it down. Now, verse 12, if you will, this is what the wicked are like, always carefree, they increase in wealth. So now he's describing a little bit more about these people, and he says that they're carefree, they increase in wealth. So they're, they're rich people, and they're getting richer by the minute. So the psalmist saw how wicked they were, how much they were prospering, how carefree they were, but many doubts set in his mind because he didn't see them suffering in any way or being disciplined by God. And he's trying to figure out what's going on. Why are these people doing so good? I'm struggling. I'm suffering. Why are they doing so good? Why? I don't see any problems with these guys. And so he's struggling with this. He has doubts. So verse 13 to 15. Notice what he says after just talking about this. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. And so the wickedness was so great that it all seemed in vain to him to keep his heart pure, to work hard at it, to work hard at staying faithful. He questioned God's goodness and his judgment. He wrestled and he struggled with what he saw around him. He tried to understand it all, but he couldn't. That's how much he was struggling with it. He wondered why people could live so prosperously and so wickedly While he was struggling, why would God allow these people who are not his people to have such a good life while he was going through so much hardship? That's what the writer thought. Why would he allow that? I'm one of his people. How come I can't live a better life? Well, the next two verses are the turning point in this psalm because this is when the psalmist discovered and realized something very important. Take a look. Verses 16 and 17. Notice what he says. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. He got it. That's at the point where he got it. He came to an understanding of things when he went to God with all his doubts. And he received comfort knowing that God is the just God that he knew him to be. The psalmist felt a great reassurance Once he saw the truth in regards to the fate of the wicked, that reassured him. When he realized what was in store for all these wicked people that he saw, he realized, oh, God is just. That's right. They might be living it up now, but they won't be later. He understood where their final resting place was and where he would be going when he died. It put things into perspective for him. One Bible commentator by the name of Willis said this. He said this psalm demonstrates in a wonderful way that doubt may be an avenue that God uses to force the believer to rethink his faith and deepen his commitment to God. That makes sense, doesn't it? So perhaps you can think of a time where this was the case for you. A time when you had doubts, but you were strengthened when you came to God in prayer. A time when you had to rethink your faith. And it deepened your commitment to God. I think we all run into that point at some point in our lives where we have to rethink things. We have doubts, and then we say, okay, well, I need to find answers. We go to God's word. We go to God in prayer. And then all of a sudden we rethink our faith, and then our commitment grows stronger to God. Well, there's a lot of things that we can draw from this psalm. Every day we see people prosper, people we know who are very ungodly, selfish, people who are not God's people. We wonder why they're having such a good life when we're not. But we have to remember that they have no true understanding of what awaits them after this life. They don't even know they're lost. I don't know how many people I've spoken to. They have no, no concept of God. I've never heard anything about Christ. They have no concept of what's waiting for them after this life. They don't even understand that they're lost. We have to help people know the truth. To share the gospel with them so that they may be saved. It might surprise you. I'm sure a lot of people here know this already. But the word gospel means good news. I like to share good news, don't you? So why can't we share the gospel? Because that's the greatest news ever. And that's what we should be doing. We should be busy sharing the good news with others. Some people might not seem very happy with their lives. You might think, hey, I know this person. I could try to reach that person, but I don't think he'll obey the gospel. Well, we have to realize that we don't know who will or will not obey the gospel. See this picture? The guy in the far right, the tall guy with the big beard? Well, I didn't think that guy would obey the gospel. This was a guy that hung around with drug dealers. This was a guy that hung around with alcoholics. He hung around with bikers. And I'm not talking about people who ride motorcycles, I'm talking about scary, nasty bikers. But he obeyed the gospel. That's the guy that's standing right here talking to you right now. That's me. And I thought I had a good life. And when somebody shared the gospel with me, I obeyed. I gave up the drinking. I gave up the drugs. I gave it all. You can see the pack of cigarettes in my hand. That took a little longer, but that was a greater addiction than the rest. It took a little bit longer, but I obeyed the gospel. And I do not regret one single day that I obeyed the gospel. Not one it was the greatest decision I ever could have made in my entire life because I came to my creator and I, and I became saved because I obeyed the gospel. Anyone can obey the gospel. You don't know who is going to obey or not. I remember when the elder approached me to preach the gospel to me and try to reach out to me, he didn't think I was going to obey the gospel. And he, he had confessed that to me. And I said, why did you think that? He said, I knew the kind of people you hung around with, and I, I had my doubts. I didn't think you would. I said, I, well, are you surprised now? He said, yeah. Uh-huh. said, you need to keep in mind you don't know who's going to obey the gospel or not. You just have to plant that seed and let God do the watering. It'll happen. It'll happen. For those of us here who have obeyed the gospel and have chosen to stay faithful to God, we know where we're going after this life. I like what Tim had to say a while ago. Glory is waiting for us. We get to go to heaven. We get to go to a place of eternal happiness, a place where we never have to say goodbye to loved ones ever again. We will be with them forever. Now, that's a wonderful thought to me. We live together with them eternally. There are good things waiting for us in heaven. And it's not just good things waiting for us. It's the best things that are waiting for us. We have no idea what God has prepared in advance for us. So we should want this for everyone. But it won't happen for some if we don't get busy sharing the gospel with them. The Lord gave us something wonderful to work toward. And that is a wonderful life we get to spend in heaven with our creator, with our maker. I'm looking forward to that. It is a great incentive. But the greatest incentive to preach the gospel to the lost is this. Our creator, our maker loved us so much. That he allowed himself to suffer horribly and then die on the cross in order to save us. Let me ask you this. Would you be willing to suffer, to greatly suffer, and then die in order to save someone? It's a thought that we don't really think about, right? We don't say, oh, oh, would would I be willing to do that? Would you be willing to suffer, greatly suffer, and die in order to save someone? Well, Jesus did. Let that motivate you to share the good news with others. If there is anyone here today that has not heard and obeyed the gospel, the good news about Jesus and all that he did, won't you take the time to do that today so that you can become a child of God and a citizen of heaven? Because that's where our true home is. It's heaven. Something wonderful is waiting for you after this life. Why won't you come forward today and make that most important decision The most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Let's stand and sing our last song in the morning.